dungeon. It looks um, like an engineering office. For those of you who don't know, I have triplets and a two-year-old daughter, so uh, I got to hide out down here. Otherwise, I'll never get any work done. As as Dan, as you know, I just do. having ones, just having ones hard. Never mind four. Right. So, um, anyways, okay. So, so what's happening? Can you do a quick intro for for the people? Because like this is kind of a newer segment for our <laughs> podcast. Um, for anybody who's been like tuning into video on LinkedIn or whatever, doesn't know who you are. Can you do just a quick intro? And then Absolutely. tell me what uh, your day-to-day looked like a month ago and what it looks like now. Um, well, <clears throat> for those of you who don't know me, I'm Joey Garnett. I am um, one of the partners with Albany Contracting. where I We're in the residential contracting space, uh, design and builds, uh, anything from um, you know do, doing a simple concrete driveway to additions and building houses from the ground up. Um, day-to-day operations a month ago typically look like you know the start of a day would obviously you know expediting work getting all the installers at their jobs where they need to be discussing any issues with the ongoing jobs with existing customers and of course also going out on sales calls and meeting new customers and making sure the appointments we had through that day uh, were still good to go and then get in our vehicles and we'd head on out to uh, different homeowners and speak to them um, and throughout the day, would be, you know, visiting different job sites, speaking to different homeowners, uh, seeing new customers, seeing old customers, um, you know, obviously going, uh, sometimes it was, you know, as simple as dropping off coffee and donuts or a pizza to some of the guys at a job site, making sure they are happy, uh, you know, dealing with issues if I had any, putting up fires, um, you know, meetings throughout the day, things like that. Now we're stuck in a cubicle or not a cubicle, but we're at home, and I'm trying to expedite all the work. We've halted all interior work, um, so we don't have workers in people's homes. And that was actually a little bit of a, excuse my language, a shit show, because uh, I was in the middle of two jobs. One of them in particular, <clears throat> when the when the start stuff started to hit the fan, we had just finished demoing. And I kind of, I had a sense something was coming. Um, and the homeowner's like, no, no, it's okay, go ahead, go ahead. And I'd spoken to them about it. And then, of course, right in the middle of them saying, uh, you know, all businesses are closing. We're in the middle of a job and uh, people are without a kitchen. So that was a bit of a nightmare trying to get that all done, making sure everybody was still good to install. And then, of course, I had some installers not wanting to work because they were afraid. Uh, some were still okay to go. They were okay. So we, we, we put in strategies now. Um, first of all, we pulled back on the interior renovations altogether, but we needed to um, finish what we were doing. So I actually put my guys in a hotel so they weren't going anywhere. It was from the hotel to the job site and back to the hotel to finish that interior job because the people that we were dealing with um, were elderly, well, not elderly, but older, older people. And the woman had dealt with cancer in the past. So she was highly at risk. So I, I thought it would be a good strategy for us to actually put the installers in a hotel um, and, and give them individual rooms talk to them about sanitization, keeping themselves clean, keeping the job site clean, getting them from the hotel to the job site, making sure they got fed and had somewhere to stay until the job was complete, which we've done now. So, I mean, that sounds like at this point, you've basically eroded your margins to almost nothing, but in, in really just uh, doing what you can to see the job through and be a man of your word at this point. Yeah, I mean, we didn't completely erode the margins. It definitely took a toll um, on our profit, uh, having to do that type of thing. But Definitely, I think that it was more important to, for the health and safety of our uh, of our customers and our staff to make sure we did that. 
um, over a few dollars on one job, right? Because, right. you know, we, we sell hundreds of jobs a year and I didn't want that to affect our reputation to any degree or, or really the health and uh, wellness of anybody. So we did that. So now what we're doing now, a day-to-day looks like uh, is I'm actually taking customer calls over the phone, sending out, we have uh, one salesperson out right now dealing with sales calls. They're not shaking hands with anybody. They're keeping 10 to 12 feet back from the people when they discuss the jobs, only exterior um, on the job sites and any contracts that we do sign are done via email and we don't exchange pens. We don't, uh, we don't have anybody in anybody's homes. So we're doing what we can for the continuity of the business. Uh, but we are seeing a massive decline in, in people making decisions on doing work for sure. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Um, what is the guy has the, has the province issued any guidance for proper, uh, physical distancing on site? Um, or is it just kind of guesswork or you're just sort of running with the existing, like with the existing, uh, social policy and, and applying that to a job site? Like, is it just kind of use your own guidance? Cause and you're forced to, yeah, the, we haven't had a lot of transparency on, um, because we're not a large scale, like I'm not a big large scale GC where I'm doing, you know, hire union guys and things like that. Um, so there's no real transparency from the government on how to actually approach this. As a matter of fact, I actually had to go and do my own research to make sure we were still technically an essential business, which we are, um, to make sure that we could still uh, install jobs ongoing and fulfill ongoing contracts. So basically what I've done is I've called guys that I know in the industry asking what they're doing and you know what their standard of practice is going to be going on uh, is it's going to be going forward uh, and within the few guys that I've spoken to what we're trying to do is make sure all the installers bring their own food to job sites um, and you know and go directly from the job site go home they're not leaving their houses for anything other than absolutely essential runs like groceries and pharma- pharmacies you know so we're, we're adhering to all those things uh, we're asking all our installers to make sure um, they're washing their hands um, at least once an hour um, on the job site and making sure they clean up anything that can be wiped down or is being wiped down. So we're sending them out products like um, like uh, bleach mixed with water, being able to spray everything down as long as it won't damage our products uh, for exterior stuff. Obviously, things like concrete and wood, there's not much you can do about it. Uh, we're asking guys to wear their gloves and um, just trying to follow social distancing and hygiene practices as best as possible throughout the process and also not keeping more than one uh one to three guys on a job site at a time and we're asking them all to arrive on the job site in their own vehicles so they're not sharing and carpooling vehicles right uh and and keeping distance from one another as best as humanly possible Mm -hmm. has there been pushback from the um labor side like is are there people like what's your read on it are people do people want to work? Do they want to be safe? Like what is it? Are they dealing with it? Are they frustrated that now they have to take this? Uh, I think it's, I think it's half and half. Um, I have some guys that don't want to work and that wanted to do a two week quarantine with like all their, like all the, I have different crews that specialize in different areas of expertise and you know, whether it's roofing, uh, aluminum work, um, flooring, this, that, and the other. Um, and usually it's two to three guys per crew. Um, and they, a couple of them wanted to basically wait 14 days, be at home with them and their families before they would actually go out together and work together again and, and sort of implement that strategy where they've waited two weeks, then they all can go to work together and know where they've been and discuss where they've been and what they've been doing so they can keep each other safe that way. Um, so that's been, so, and then, you know, the other 50% are still okay to work and they're just, again, doing what they can to, to 
put in practice like social distancing, not being next to each other on job sites, uh, making sure they wash their hands, yada, yada. You guys have heard this, this tune going on in the news a hundred times. They're doing what they need to do to make sure they stay safe while getting the job done. Okay. Um, yeah. I know Trump just uh, extended guidance on, on social distancing in the U.S. to the end of April. What, is, what happens now if, you know, you guys are going to probably exhaust your existing <clears throat> jobs and, and filling the supply chain in a poor economy with uh, a bunch of barriers to entry in the sales process? Like, what is, what's your read on what the next couple of months looks like for not just your business, but every business? Um, Percentage-wise, uh, it, it would be really hard to give you like a, a percentage-wise figure on like how, how much of a decline there is, but I could certainly tell you that we're probably at this, in the past two weeks, comparing this year to last year, this year to the year past five years, um, typically early April till July 1st is like, it gets crazy in terms of sales, uh, where we're writing any, you know, um, where we're bringing in anywhere between eight and 10 orders a week as a, as a company right now we're doing between one and two orders a week. And it's typically with people that are retired who are not being affected directly, um, by their income because they, they, they don't need their jobs any longer. They've all been retired. So they're more comfortable in spending money because it's not that much different for them as long as they haven't lost too much money in the stock markets or however they deal with their money. So I could say we're probably down sales wise, like 70%, something like that. That's tough though, because the people who are not affected financially are the ones that are more affected biologically. Right. So yes, a hundred percent, but they are, uh, we, like I said, we've made them very, feel very comfortable where everything is being done via telephone calls or emails. So we don't actually touch anything that they're touching. Um, and, uh, the sale, like this, I said, we only have one salesperson out right now because we, we, we've taken that down to just one sales guy and he's staying within 10 to 15 feet and just speaking loudly across so they can sort of discuss what's going on in the job site. Um, otherwise if the customer is feeling very uncomfortable for that, what the customer will do is take photos of the job site or we'll go to the job site and call them. So they're, they're communicating via phone and a window, um, uh, you know, from the, from the house window to the salesperson who's on the actual job site, having a look at the job, measuring it up. So it, it's kind of a strange new norm that we have, but it is becoming the norm right now. And it, and we've, we've seen that a lot of people are actually adhering to the social distancing from our experience so far and, and where we've been working, which is really nice. So hopefully it'll work out quite well, but yes, it is tough right now. Really tough. What, uh, what advice can you offer to individuals and businesses right now um, on how to deal with this? I know you and I were both probably a little bit more prepared than most, um, you know, I mean, due to whatever it would be, paranoia, anything else. Um, I think we did a podcast about this about a month and a half ago, two months ago, and everyone's like, oh, you guys are crazy. You don't know what yeah, you're talking about. I know. Yeah, right? Uh, yeah, it is pretty funny to look back on on that that episode from a couple of months ago and and realize. And hold on, what was I saying about the real estate market staying strong? Yeah, well, I mean, well, let's see. <laughs> we'll see. That remains to be seen, still, but we'll, we'll we'll get to that. Yeah, I I, I still maintain that uh, you know you're going to see the froth get kind of shaved off the top, and then right. So I don't think I, I think that the the built in growth is going to fail to be realized. I don't think we're actually going to see a drop, but there will be a drop for whoever bought on that, on that spec. Uh, they're going right. to lose that, that spec. And, and so a lot of these condos are not just condos. I say condos cause that's the most 
people are most familiar with that as a pre-construction product, but a lot of these pre-construction products that people are buying at 20 or 30% inflated values based on um, the, you know, what the, what the fair market value of a comparable unit would be. I think that that, like that stuff will get pulled right out. Um, and then there's some other toxic, toxic uh, assets, you know, uh, ghost hotels are, are toasts uh, and you're seeing them right, right now. And that's going to pull, I, I think that that's a meaningful enough supply shock that it should pull uh, values down a little bit. And then we'll see what happens when um, employment and uh, you know, the, the erasing of, of wealth uh, by the stock market, when that weeds its way into the market, what, what, right. How that manifests, I don't, nobody knows, right? I mean, the market's been on a freaking bull run for six days. So let me ask you something now. uh, You know, the the question is, is, uh, as you know, um, we own a number of uh, residential uh, rental properties. Yeah. And and of course the concern for us is our tenants going to continue to pay rent during this, during this process. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm relatively small scale um, and I, and I manage all those properties. So I'm, personally in in contact with all of them um it just so happens that all of our renters happen to not be affected their jobs happen not to be affected by this um so we've been lucky in that sense again on pretty small scale if you're doing any type of large scale where you're doing 60 doors plus or you have any units that are 60 doors plus or you have multiple units that are you know north of 60 to 100 doors i'm curious to know how that type of investor is going to take a hit when people cannot pay their rent. Uh, if they're, you know, if there's, if they are renting, you know, D and C level living or even a people, you know, a level living and people are losing their jobs. I think a lot of the A stuff is going to get hit harder because I mean, the, the, with the, with the, you know, so-called slumlords, the, their tenants already have their EI checks, right? Like, right. Um, so that's, that's number one, but number two would be that, um, you know, you're, you're fiscally responsible. You're not like, Scale doesn't really matter so much. A lot of these REITs and and um, larger institutional landlords, they have you know shareholders to appease, and they have to play by the rules and and not defy what a, you know logic, financial logic, right? And if you you know right. when you get a chance to speak with your your brother about this, I imagine like companies like that, they're operating with emergency funds, just like individuals should, right? It's like if right a black swan like this does cruise into the market, what can we do about it? Because, you know, the government's already put up helicopter money to pay for the the rent of people who are marginalized by this issue. It's going to take a while for that to, to be capitalized in the market properly. Right. Um, you can pay the, I, I just because I know you, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, and, and I, I, I think it's I'm definitely right, but that you can... Um, pay the rent or you can pay the mortgage uh, of your investment properties for a month uh, if, if a tenant can't pay. And, and a lot of these companies are in the same position. It's the guys who are over levered, uh, don't have cash, don't have. Uh, Sorry, pay- one second. I'm, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I had a little bit of a technical issue there. I apologize. No Sorry, I, I missed what you said. The last, that last one. No, I, I mean, it's really just that, that, you you're fiscally responsible enough to be able to pay uh to service the property at least for for you know a couple of months until 
until we... oh, 100%. There's no question about that. So that's, that's <clears> now, you mentioned, my, you, you mentioned my brother would know. He's actually in the commercial space. Um, he's a, an accountant for a, a firm called Europro, I believe is the name. Yeah. Um, and he's, a, he, he's one of the managing accountants there. And they deal strictly in commercial. But so yeah, I, you know, I, this is going to get smoked too, right? Like a lot of these residents. No, that, that, they're going to get crazy smoked because a lot of them are shut down. But yeah, but a lot, but like these guys, they're going to have cash on hand. Like, you know, they, they're not just living paycheck to paycheck. And that's where, you know, it's, it's the, the landlords who haven't been fiscally responsible that are, that are going to be the, one that, the ones that get burned. And to be honest with you, they should. Like, I, I think that if you are operating on the assumption that, a levered investment has no risk associated with it, then that was a foolish decision. And absolutely. And I, and I, so I think that, that, that's going to, that's going to burn a lot of people. Like, you know, everybody was told that, that, that real estate was a sure thing. And people were told that, you know, you can't get hurt. I, I mean, you can, and their exposure is going to be worse than, than anything. Like the, the stuff isn't recession proof. Maybe if you're a slumlord, you're, you're recession proof because, your, your tenants are already on welfare, but beyond that, I mean, now that, you know, 3 million people are going on welfare in our country, but not welfare, but EI, it's going to, you know, things are going to change and you're gonna, a lot of people are about to realize the risk of, of holding a levered asset. A hundred percent. So the, the, the other question also comes down to, to, with a lot of that, when you talk about EI and, you know, is the government doing what it should be doing and are they acting responsibly in terms of, um, uh, you know, that's, a, I mean, I guess that's a whole nother topic well, to get into, but yeah. keeping people at home and it's also like you, it, we had to act so fast that you, you can't really know. Like it's almost, it's almost bad to look in the rear view mirror. Hindsight's always going to be 2020, right? Like, of course we can't, we can't really go back and, and judge it retroactively. I think that we're all just trying our best to get by. And I, I would include the government in that. I do, like I am a little bit. Yeah, I, yes and no. Okay, so so uh, a little bit more background on me for you guys that don't know. I actually have a degree in disaster and emergency management. Um, so I actually studied this stuff in university. We we did uh, something called high res hazard risk analysis, um, and we dealt with um, dealing with things like pandemics, um, hurricanes, tsunamis, ice storms, any type of man-made or natural disaster or or even war. Uh, we dealt with you know, dealing with that. And there was a lot of lessons learned that we learned um, so over the years. Th things like, sorry, I actually think the governments are doing really, excuse my language, piss poor jobs of using lessons learned from past um, issues. Because what happens is people have a very short disaster memory. They forget, you know, they, we talk about, oh, how well we were prepared after SARS. But yet we're seeing the whole world come to a freaking halt because we weren't actually prepared after SARS. Because what happened was, is they got prepared for the first 12 to 18 months after SARS, talking about SARS, talking about SARS, talking about SARS, and then everybody forgot about it. And then you had guys like Bill Gates talking two or three years ago about the next coronavirus, about the next flu epidemic, but no one's paying attention because no one wanted to spend money on something that hadn't happened yet. That's why, like, everybody hates buying insurance because you have to spend money on something that may or may not happen. Yeah. Right? But... You know, we talked about how it, it wasn't a matter of um, what, it was a matter of when. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I kind of knew this was going to come. I didn't know it was going to come in 2020. Um, I knew something was going to happen and that would change our world. Similar 
to the world, the way the world was changed after post 9-11. And, uh, and I think that there's going to be a big fallout out of this. And I just, I'm curious to see who's going to be on top and who's going to get sucked and get, you know, sort of killed financially, um, on, on the, uh, on the back end when this is all done. I think, um, it's, it's funny. Sorry, I got a call coming in here. Um, I, I think it's funny when you evaluate, um, you know, that we were talking about this two months ago was our government doing anything two months ago i mean maybe and they, they just maybe we didn't know about it you know they haven't been so transparent i right? guess they were trying they were being careful not to fearmonger too right like they really didn't want panic right but the, new, the news did a good job of that so yeah yeah i know well the new like the media did a good job of a lot of things like you know pitting landlord and tenant against one another and now they're now they're you know uh dividing the laborers and uh the, I guess the office and field workers of, of uh, yeah. scale construction sites. I mean, the whole thing's just becoming a mess and it's just exacerbating that polarity that we're already feeling in society. But I really hope, I really hope people today, you know, uh, as a big thing in general, are starting to um, be more discerning when it comes to evaluating the type of media that they consume. Um, and like, and even if they are consuming things like uh, mainstream media sources that are, are in the business of making money and, and having like, they make money from news from viewership. Right. Um, and it's in their best interest for things to be going wrong all the time in the world because they want, that's the best thing that sells. Um, so I think people need to be a little bit more careful about how they consume their, their media. And if they are consuming that media, how they, how they actually interpret it. Yeah. I think that's a big, big option. Um, anyway, so I think we're a little bit off topic here. Yeah. So going forward and, yeah, anything Sorry. you want to say before you sign off? Uh, um, like just uh, advice or guidance for, for people and yeah. how to do this, especially like, you know, from a, economically for, for contractors, for homeowners that are looking to get work done. For contractors, uh, you know, it, it's very tough right now. I think it's hour by hour. I think hour by hour, day by day. Um, it's an unprecedented situation, right? There's no precedent set. So we don't know what to do. So well, I actually have a conference conference call with my, uh, my marketing guy uh, today at four o'clock. We're going to actually try and dive into a new marketing campaign, telling people how we're still here to serve them at a distance. Um, and, you know, by the time this whole thing blows over, we're likely looking to, you know, July, August at best, you know, people aren't going to start having work. Right now? Sorry. Well then filling the pipeline right now. The goal is filling the pipeline. It's not just filling the pipeline for, for come August time when things start to normalize, but it's also filling the pipeline with people who are still want to get work done because there's a lot of people sitting at home staring at their houses right now being saying to themselves, geez, I wish I can get this work done right now. You know, oh, I don't like the way this looks. And they're having lots of time to look. So maybe trying to capture that market. In a perfect world, then, if, if somebody was able to get the work done from a logistical perspective, like safely, yep. is, it, is it a good time to do that cost-wise like are there are there people looking for work is there going to be is there going to be cost savings or i, I don't think there's going to be any cost savings because like i said i'm down about 50 percent of my guys not wanting to work and i can't argue with them about that if they're concerned about their safety and there's guys that have told me that they they didn't want to work and then a week later they called me told me that, you know they're going stir crazy at home is there work so it's a combination safety is like the most important thing right now and, and adhering to social the social norms that we have going on right now, which is physical distancing, actually keeping people away from each other and keeping them safe. I think uh, that's also that, that social distancing thing is needs to be, there needs to be common sense in it. You know, 
we know that if two guys are at home for two weeks and not interacting with anybody else and they're only, you know, they're receiving groceries on, as from delivery, wiping down all their groceries as they come in, um, going to and from work in their own vehicles, not coming within five to 10 feet of the other guys working on the job site, going back home, doing the same thing over and over again. I mean, realistically, we can't keep people safe during that process, not interacting with the homeowners, the homeowners inside our, 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 our installers are outside. So I think there is a way to do it. I think we have to be careful and I think we have to be very cautious. And I think everybody that I've been working with recently um, is using common sense. I know not everybody uses common sense. It's not all that common as they say, but they're using common sense and they are social distancing. They are washing their hands properly. Um, you know, we're having materials, for example, instead of our guys picking up materials from Home Depot or from Lowe's or from any of our other stone suppliers or, or wood suppliers, we're having it delivered instead to job sites. I'm allowing it to sit on a job site for three days before our guys go in and start touching it. So there's a 72 hour period where all that materials had a chance to, uh, you know, they, they say that the, the virus doesn't last more than 72 hours on material, according to the CDC. So we're allowing material to sit on a job site for 72 hours before the guys touch it. So right. things like that, just to keep people safe. Um, and I want, you know, and I'm trying to advocate that to our homeowners that we're doing our absolute best to make sure that our installers are safe, our materials are safe and they're safe. Well, yeah. And I mean, realistically, like the, the, it's not you who's assuming the risk here. Like if you know, you're, let's say you're just brokering the, the, the supply chain here. So if the, if you have labor who is willing to assume the risk and do it, and exercise best practices to protect the client and the client's willing to do the same and they want to get the work done or they need to get the work done. I mean, people still need to work and people still need to get work done. Like right. there's a lot of romanticism about how, you know, the simplicity of, of shutting down an entire economy, but there's a lot of things that, you know, we're not going to feel the impact of, of the hit to the supply chain until, you know, this time next year. And, and it, that's, that's painful for for an economy yeah and the reality is is people at the end of the day as much as the government wants to try and give out uh nine hundred dollars every two weeks to some people maybe that's not enough money for them maybe we don't want to sit around for the government money maybe we want to still go go out and make a living because we need to make more than that to survive i've got four children right um unfortunately you know eighteen hundred dollars a month doesn't cut it yeah. And I, and I'm one of those people that I eat what I kill, meaning I don't make money unless I sell contracts. Um, so that's a, that's a tough pill to swallow for guys like me. Now, again, I'm in a situation where I have always prepped myself for emergency situations, just like you. And I, and I, you know, I'm, I'm used to going months without getting paid because that's just the, the nature of our industry. Um, but, uh, I think a lot of my installers, you know, some of them can't go more than three, four weeks without getting paid especially after a long winter of not working for sure. Right. And that's a big thing. Yeah. So I got to run into uh, and do a meeting. Um, yeah, no, uh, nothing I want to add to you. Um, I'd love to, I, Oh, the only thing I'd like to do is uh, have a chat with the, and we'll have to set up a time to do that. have a chat with the, the old boy brother of mine and talk to him, um, see what he's doing in his industry and how they're being affected. Cause I think that would be very interesting because they're much larger scale than both of us. Yeah, no, I'd love that. If you can set that up, let me know. Yeah, yeah, and that would be a much more interesting conversation, I think, than you and I. I don't know. I mean, I think that it's really. I found it really cool to learn about how you know the nuances of how this is impacting every single market, right? Right. Because the reality is, we're all in this together, and we just don't really know 
how to like we can't be empathetic to other people if we don't know what's going on in their lives and how how they're being affected right and, and that's why i'm just trying to touch base with as many people that i know that are in the in the real estate space that yeah. you know are being impacted so that we you know to try and broaden the information that we're all operating on so we can see how right. to support one another and and piece this supply chain back together in, in a safe and physically distant fashion right Right. Well, uh, so here, here you asked me to, if I wanted to put one last thing. I think people need to get creative. I think right. people really need to get creative to figure out how to make their businesses work while keeping people safe. Yeah. Um, I think that's going to be the big thing is, is, learn, is, is overcoming that obstacle. And if we can do that, maybe we can keep some of the wheels of our economy turning, um, which, will be, which will be good for everybody long term. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right, man. Thanks for your call. I appreciate it. Uh, go hit your call. Uh, go hit your conference call. We'll talk to you later. Hi, right, buddy. Talk soon. All right. Ciao. Bye. Bye. Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to the Brick and Mortar Podcast. Um, this is a interim video chat series that we're doing in honor of social distancing. Um, taking the time to reach out to a bunch of my peers and discuss how coronavirus and COVID-19 have changed the industries in which they operate uh, and ultimately trying to tie it back to the real estate space. So I hope you enjoy these discussions and insights as much as I do.